In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Easter is a love story. A love story where God desires to dwell with His people, to abide with them, to tabernacle with them. And no better place for us to start thinking about tabernacling, about God dwelling with us, than in Deuteronomy as the prophet Moses prepares the people for entering into the promised land to dwell with God. You remember that Deuteronomy means the second law giving. This is the second time that Moses has told the people about the law and that he has prepared them for how it is that they're supposed to live in the promised land. The, the second time is at the end of Moses's uh, ministry. He is at the bank of the Jordan River and he has stopped there and he is relating and recounting to them a second time how it is that they're supposed to live. Sometimes we see a separation between the reward of being in the promised land and how it is that we're supposed to live there, as if the two are somehow unrelated, as if the way that we live in the land of God and, and the land of God itself are, are somehow unrelated, and like we're kind of paying to go on to a ride of some kind, right? If you work really hard and you buy a ticket, then you get to go. And that's really not the case at all. The case is that the Lord has already bought the ticket, He's already built the ride, He's already invited us in, and all we've got to do is participate in the ride. But if we don't put down the safety belt or we stand up in the middle of the ride, we're going to get hurt. We're going to fall off and perhaps get harmed. And so at this rules that the Lord is giving for the living in the promised land is just that. There are ways to experience the joys of God and to experience the blessings of his righteousness. They're not somehow removed <coughs> from the land itself. And it's said uh, very clearly with this uh, very powerful theological word that I think we've talked about before. And that word is if. Do you remember that very important theological word? He says uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25, And it will be righteousness for us, that is the land, right? The land will be righteousness, the ride will be fun, if we are careful. Careful. Being careful means having some thought, having some reflection. And this is what we're practicing to do as Christians. We're reflecting. We're thinking, how is it I'm supposed to live? How is it I'm supposed to respond to God? How have I been responding to God? And if we're reflecting upon that and we're thinking about it, we're being careful. Careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. So we think about what God has commanded us to do. We think about what it is we have been doing. And we're careful then for our lives to be aligned so that we can participate in the dwelling with God. Of course, the problem with all that is that we can't. We can't do it. We fall short. And this can bring us to a place of fear and trembling. And if we're not careful, it can bring us to a place of despair. And many people despair and give up. This happens all the time. It was close to happening for the disciples in the upper room. They'd experienced great joy. They had been with Jesus in the triumphal entry. At this point in John's gospel, they're in the city of Jerusalem. 
They sung hosannas and laid down the palm branches as we did a few weeks ago. They celebrated his entry to Jerusalem. They proclaimed him as uh, the Messiah and King. And then they start to hear what that means, that he's Messiah. They start to hear about the sacrifice and the suffering Messiah. And then the band of 12 seemed to be breaking apart. Just before this passage in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and chapter 13, Jesus is entered into the city of Jerusalem, and now he is at the end of that week. He's had the, the Passover meal, and he's washed their feet, which they can't understand. And then in the feeding of the, the Passover, in the Last Supper, Satan enters into Judas. Because he had already committed himself to give up Jesus. And Judas has just left. Then after Judas leaves, Peter says, I'm not going to be like Judas. I'm going to follow you to the end. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're going to deny me three times. So now Judas, their treasurer, and Peter, their leader, have both fallen short. And Jesus' response to that is, let not your hearts be troubled. And so he doesn't just say, don't be troubled, but he gives the antidote to being troubled. He gives the antidote to despair. He gives the cure to giving up, which is to believe. And belief is not an idea in the head. As modern people, we think that everything takes place in the mind. We think that it's all about um, learning and it's all about decision-making and making up our minds. And it's so much more than that, right? We're whole people. We're not just brains, right, who are driving bodies, right? We're whole people. And belief doesn't mean have an idea in your head. Belief means live your life in a certain way. And he's saying, believe in me, right? The belief that he's talking about is like a child at that amusement park where we're getting onto that amusement ride, holding the hand of the parent, right? Holding onto the hand of the parent and doing what the parent is said to do, right? So the parent is, is leading them and guiding them and teaching them how to interact and how to live, right? That's what Jesus is talking about by belief. It's a, a loyalty, a faithfulness, but it's so much more than that, right? It's a careful closeness where we're walking with the hand of God. And so he says, believe in me, hold my hand and walk with me. He says, I am going to the house of my father and there are rooms there for you. Now it's important for us to think about the, the anthropology and the architecture of the ancient world and, and our world and, and our times when we add rooms on the houses, um, they are in the back and they're sometimes far away and they're distant from the central level of activity. In the ancient world, when they would add rooms to houses, which is what a family would do, a father that had children would add more rooms and a, a married uh, you know, son would come and live with his family and they'd build more rooms and sometimes they'd build second floors and they were all open onto a central courtyard. And in that central courtyard is where the washing and the cooking and the daily activity, that hive of activity took place. And the walls of the house are all along the the street, right? And so uh, there is no looking out into the world. It's looking in towards the family. It's looking in towards the father and towards the, the life of the family gathered together, right? So they're all able to see one another as their rooms open up onto that central courtyard. So they're in fellowship with one another as they're in fellowship with the father and the family. And this is 
what Jesus is inviting us into. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about all of us together, which is why we can't be a Christian apart, who are all focused and looking in upon our common life in Christ, our common life with the Father. And this is the house, this is the lifestyle that Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us to be with the Father. And he says the way that we get there is him. He doesn't say, I have the way. He doesn't say, I have life, like he's handing it out. Here's a way for you, and here's some life for you. He's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so when we are with Christ, and we are in Christ, then we are in the way, we are in life. We've plugged into his life, into his creation, into his power, into his glory. We're participating, and we're being transformed by him in a radical way. And the incredible thing is, is that we're being invited in this transformation to participate in the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is the truth about God. There's no other way to think about God than Holy Trinity. The idea that Holy Trinity is somehow an evolution of our thinking about God, or that, uh, that there's uh, multiple ways of thinking about God, are complete rubbish. God cannot be isolated and alone without having one in three. Otherwise, he can't be God, because God is love. God loves, and God doesn't depend upon creation to love. God was love at the beginning of all things, right? Before all time and space. He loved. How could he love without creation? What was the object of his love? The object of the Father's love is the Son. The object of the Son's love is the Holy Spirit. The object of the Holy Spirit's love is the Father. The three-in-one, the Holy Trinity, is constantly loving, constantly submitting one to another. And that constant submission and love as three-in-one is the person of the Holy Trinity. This is the action and the, the way in which God is, and He's inviting us to live in that way. Incredible, isn't it? We've talked about this figure eight that, that Jesus will do more as the gospel goes on in these upper room discourses. He started it here for us. The Father is in the Son as the Son is in the Father. And he says it twice here in John's Gospel, chapter 14, right? He says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. The Father who dwells in me does his works, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then he says, those who are in me will do the works that I do also. So he's setting us up for the second half of that figure eight. The Father is in the Son as the Son is in the believer. The believer is in the Son as the Son is in the Father. When he says as, he's saying in the same way. That's crazy. We're going to be in Christ in the same way that Christ is in the Father. We're going to have that level of intimacy, that level of of, of connection, of dwelling, of abiding with Him. This is the radical kind of abiding and tabernacling that Jesus is inviting us into. And He's saying that when you're living with us in this house, when we're all together and we're all one and we're all abiding, then there's no I do this and you do that. He's saying that everything that I do is what you do and everything that you do is what I do. Because we're holding hands, we're together. We're a family. It's not, I'm going on the right and you're going with me. We're going together. Jesus' name isn't some magical word. We say, oh, Lord, I'd like X, Y, Z, one, two, three, and in Jesus' name. And then we magically get it. He's saying we're together. We're doing it together. We're abiding together as one. So what I do is what you do. 
And of course, the question for us is, how can that happen? How can I go from where I'm at now to this kind of radical tabernacling where I'm holding the Father's hand? How can I get to that place? And St. Peter says in his letter that we get there by being babies. We have to submit to be babies in the house of the Father, right? That's, that's how we learn how to be in a house, right? To learn how to be with a family, to, to be a member of a family, right? We do that as being a baby. We learn the ways of the family, right? By being fed that, that spiritual milk. And so that's what he says. He says, be a baby in the house of my Father and be fed by spiritual food, right? Which we know is uh, prayer and the reading of Holy Scripture and the receiving of Holy Communion, right? He says, you have tasted that the Lord is good. What's he saying there? You've received Holy Communion. You've received the, the power of the Holy Spirit in baptism and in, in confirmation, the reception of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted Him. You know that He is good and you're being transformed by Him. You're being built up and you're being made and so what does he say? Into living stones. So we start as babies being fed spiritual food and then we get built into living stones. What does he mean by that? He's saying that he is dwelling in us and he is building his kingdom, building his house out of us. All of a sudden that house analogy just got even stranger and more radical, didn't it? First we're living in the house, which we can all say, yeah, okay, I kind of get that, right? Heaven is like this big cool house with a courtyard. Now all of a sudden, we're the bricks. We're the bricks. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and He is building us up into His place of dwelling. He is building us up into His tabernacle, into His temple. And we have become a royal priesthood. What does the priest do? The priest blesses. The priest sanctifies. The priest says, here's something that was normal and ordinary. We ask God to make it extraordinary, to make it fit for his purpose. And this is what we're doing as these living stones. When we go into the world, when we go into our work, into our homes, and we go to the market, when we leave this building, we are a royal priesthood. We are stones of the kingdom of God. We're not hoping to get into heaven. We are built into the fabric of heaven, and we are bringing heaven with us into the places where we're about to go. To bless. To sanctify. To bring joy. And St. Peter says, bring that joy and bring that grace as sojourners. In other words, we're walking through the wilderness just like Moses and those tabernacling there at the edge of the Jordan. Just like the disciples in the upper room. We're sojourners. We're walking through this place, not to live in it, not to be ordinary people in the ordinary world, to be extraordinary ministers of grace, to bring about mercy in the world. That's the job that we've been given so that those around us, when Christ appears again, will celebrate in his glory. Because when he appears again, those are the two responses. It's either I'm terrified because I didn't put on my safety buckle and I stood up at the top of the roller coaster, or I'm having a great ride. I'm either participating or I'm about to fall off. And he says we are entering into this world as a royal priesthood so that those who see him coming again in glory will rejoice, will rejoice at his appearing. May we rejoice. May it be a fantastic ride. May we dwell with our Father in heaven this day and forevermore. Amen.